The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep, sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going another steps, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered to them, My father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we come before you as broken people with open hearts, Lord. Father, may you remind everyone here and every single one who's watching that this is your church, not ours. Father, may you instill humility and grace and love and mercy and soften our hearts as we hear your word. Father, may you use us as ambassadors of Christ out there in the city, in San Diego and in the world. Father, may you equip us with the gospel and courage to share this with everyone. Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for, your, for Jesus. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for this kingdom. Father, we raise and lift up everyone here in your mighty name. Amen. Good morning. We're going to be studying in uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18 this morning. And uh, if you're new with us, uh, this is a great time to jump in. We are starting a new series. It's called Faith and Work. And uh, in this series, uh, we're going to be going through this next month talking about some specific things when it comes to work. Because what we're going to see is, as Jesus declared, um, he is working as his Father's working. And so what does it look like for our faith in our work, to come together and intersect. Uh, today, in our message, we're going to be talking about a theology of work. And I don't want this word theology to scare you. Basically, what this word is, is just a study of God's nature. Who is God? Because we live in a culture right now that instead of starting with God, we start with ourselves, right? We come in and say, well, you want to discover who you are, you want to know who you are, look at yourself and then go find yourself. But what we find in scriptures that it's, it's the opposite. It says, go to God first. And then through knowing God, you'll find out who you are. And so what does it look like to know who we are when it comes to our faith and our work? Well, it looks like everyday life. Everyday life. Not just some parts of life, but everyday life. And our mission for Grace City Church is very simple. 
It is to equip you with the gospel for everyday life. You see, we believe that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not just an abstract idea, something that's out there floating around that we just talk about and have a great time discussing. But what it is, it's something very practical to our lives. See, it changes us right where we're at. And so how do we have that type of lens when we talk about life? And what does it look like, really, for this thing, this word theology? Right, theology, God's nature. What does that look like? Again, it is a very practical thing. I love what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity about theology. He says this, theology is practical, especially now. And then he tells us why. In the old days, when there was less education and discussion, perhaps it was possible to get on with, a, uh, with very few simple ideas about God. But it is not so now. Listen to this. Everyone reads, everyone hears things discussed, don't they? Social media, Facebook, everything out there. Consequently, if you do not listen to theology, that will not mean that you do not have ideas about God. It will mean that you have a lot of wrong ones. Bad, muddled, out-of-date ideas for a great many of the ideas about God which are trotted out as novelties today are simply the ones which real theologians tried centuries ago and rejected. Okay, so what he's saying is that basically the the things that we're trying to work out right now have been discussed, have been talked about. So that's why we need to study about God. We need to know what people have said about God, and we need specifically to know how that works in our everyday lives. And that's why we're launching this blog, right? People read blogs today. It's, it's out there. And so this is another way that we want to equip you for everyday life. And I'm thankful for uh, Amanda being a part of our church. And so she's going to be starting out these blogs. And I'm going to write some here and there. And so discussing, talking about topics that are happening in our world right now. It's very practical. See, much of our Christian faith, if we're honest, is found in those gray areas. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not like you can go to the scripture and say, well, there's a verse for this specific thing. So how does it work out in, the, the, in life, in those gray areas within life? Why did God not just say, here's a verse or here's a rule for every single thing? Because God of the Bible is not a God of rules. He's a God of relationship. He's a God that says, come to me. Ask me. Talk with me about these things. Discuss these things. That's why last month we went through the Psalms and really God through prayer, through talking with him, worked out some of the questions in the hearts of the writers of the Psalms. And so it's the same thing for you and me today. When God works things out, he works things out with us in relationship because he asks us to depend on him, not on a rule book. And so that's why we discuss these things. That's why we talk about these things. See, many of us have grown up in a culture where we say, go to church. We go to church. But what the Bible tells us is about being the church. See, much of our faith, if we were to think about it, in our culture happens really in this room, right? In rooms like this all across the the globe. But what the scriptures say is it's not like that. And so when it comes to to faith and work, I want to give you some statistics here, some helpful things to think about. If you were to think about your life and and if you were to think about just being faithful to coming to a service for the majority of your life, you would probably be around 7,000 hours of your life would be spent in a room like this. But when we're talking about work specifically, 96,000 hours would be spent in your workplace. Do you see the difference between those two? And do you see that God isn't calling us just to spend time in a room, but to be sent out into those 96,000 hours? See, how are we equipping you to be people that go out and are sent with the good news of Jesus? When we talk about work, specifically, some of us cringe. We think about Monday morning and we say, that's not my favorite day of the week. We think of, how can I get rid of Mondays, right? But when we think about work, we can think about it in three ways, really. The first one is this. We can think about it as our job. We can think about work as a necessary evil to to get what we need and to to make life work. Another way we can think about 
uh, work is that we can say, well, that's, that's really my security. What the Bible would call it is an idol. It, it becomes our God. It becomes a thing that we place before everything because we think that our work is going to be the thing that solves all of our life's issues. Right? And so if I work hard enough, if I gain enough money, and, and that's going to be the, the end goal of my life. But as we can see, that, that, that's not true. If you follow that to the ultimate end, it, it doesn't work. Right? And so what does it look like for a third way, really a gospel-centered way? God has given all of us work, not as a job, not as a God, but as a calling. A calling. Right? God's intended design for life. I mean, think about it for a minute. I was thinking about, like, you and I are born into a world where there is work. It's just a part of how life is. But have you thought about work as being a part of God's intended design for life? Jesus did. Because as he talks about in verse 18, he says, My father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus sees God the Father working. To Jesus, work is not just a drudgery that he is enduring in life, but he's seeing it as a part of God's created order. Because as he looked at God the Father working, he says, that is what I do. And so when you see God the Father working, is that what you think about yourself? See, Genesis 1-1 tells us that in the beginning, God created And I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. Here's what he says. He says, the Bible begins with the announcement, in the beginning God created. Not sat majestic in the heavens. He created. He did something. He made something. He fashioned heaven and earth. The week of creation was a week of work. Have you thought about it like that? God creating, working. Because when we see God working in this way, we also see God creating Adam and Eve and giving them a job, right? He gives them a job to work the garden. This wasn't after the fall. This was before the fall. See, God gave us a purpose in life. Why does he do this? I love this quote from Timothy Keller. Here's what he says. Work has dignity because it is something that God does and because we do it in God's place as his representatives. All work has dignity because it reflects God's image in us and also because the material creation we are called to care for is good. You look around the earth, the things that God has created, they're good. And we can take care of those things. And so we are workers because we are made in the image of a God who works. We need to be engaged in creative and purposeful activities. It is fundamental to the essence of who God created us to be. And so the question is, well, how do we integrate our faith in our work? Um, Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, there were two things that really stuck out during that time of the Reformation. Uh, The first one was that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And the second one was that we are, uh, there, there, there wasn't just this divide between the sacred and the secular. What I mean by that is the, the church stuff and the non-church stuff, right? The everyday life. But those things came together. They were integrated into all of life. And so one day, Martin Luther had a, a shoemaker come up to him. He, this guy was very excited. He just became a Christian, just put his faith in Jesus, right? And so he's very excited. He comes up to Martin Luther, and he says, I've become a Christian. What should I do? And so Mar- Martin Luther looks at him. He says, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a shoemaker. And as Martin Luther is thinking about it, he says this, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. This man was probably expecting something like, well, you should go become a monk or you should become a minister or a traveling evangelist. But what he says is, no, make a good shoe, 
sell it at a fair price. You see, you can use your work to glorify God. See, there is no like Jesus compartment over here and then the rest of the world compartment over here, but those things come together when we're talking about faith and work because that is our life. That's what God has called you into. See, as we start this new series, there's some mindset shifts that need to happen when we talk about work. And so I'm gonna give you three quickly uh, that can really help you and then we're gonna dive into the text for today. But this is gonna help us just to think about what theology looks like for our work. The first one is this. Um, We're not gonna put this one up there yet. This is gonna be uh, just some side ones. So first one is we are a called people. So the difference between seeing your life as just having an occupation and your vocation. Occupation, vocation, there's a difference, okay? And so vocation is a Latin word from the word vocare, Okay, and so when we're talking about vocation, what it means is this is to call or summon. You can see your work as your calling or just an occupation. Have you noticed this? There are people who aren't even believers in God who would say, you know what, what I'm doing is my calling. I feel like this is my calling. See, what happens is we, we've got this idea that it's just, again, it's just a job that we go to. But there is something unique about how God has made us, and it is a calling. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen helps us with this. It says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, a commentator on this verse says this. Paul is not referring in this case to church ministries but to common social and economic tasks, quote-unquote secular jobs. We might say um, that what he's saying here, it's, it's God's calling and assignments to our everyday work. Okay, so again, this specific verse is telling us, again, it's not just the Jesus compartment and the work compartment, but you are called to a vocation. You have a calling on your life. Whatever that looks like. The, the second uh, quick point is this. We are called to ministry, every one of us. And so, again, no divide between sacred and secular, but we see that God is a worker, and we are called into his work. The, 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 the scriptures tell us, it says that God feeds every living thing. And we're gonna break this down over this next month, but I think it's very interesting. It, it's like, how does God feed every living thing? by making farmers, by creating people that are gonna take those things that that are on the farm and take them and drive a truck to the market, to a person that's gonna be there and that's gonna sell you that thing that's at the market. See, God works through people, designers, architects, artists, custodians, mechanics, police officers, judges, professors, doctors, nurses, psychologists, therapists, educators, scientists, lawyers, judges. He works through them all. uh, Dick Lucas says this. He says, it is often hard to get Christians to see that God is willing not just to use men and women in pastoral ministry, but in law, in medicine, in business, in the arts. This is the great shortfall today. That's what's in here. See, all of us are called people. If God has first called us into relationship with him as a believer, but then he also sends us as a called people out into the world. And just real quickly, the last one is this. We are called to the common good, not personal gain. And we're gonna talk about this next week when we're talking about ethics of work. But God has called you to the common good, not personal gain. I love this. Uh, Bible scholar uh, Bruce Waltke points out, the Bible says that the very definition of righteous people is that they disadvantage themselves to advantage others, while the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. You want to know what a righteous person is? They take on the hurts and pains of others to disadvantage themselves for the good of others. You see, we can walk into our work environments. We say, I just want to make as much money as possible. I want to do everything I can to make myself look good. But what Scripture tells us is that righteousness is the complete opposite. 
See, that's what God has called us into when it comes to our work. And so how do we apply this to our work? How do we apply this faith to our work? Some of us would say, well, the office evangelism, right? We say, well, um, there's these forced conversations that we want to have with people about Jesus. And so people, you know, you're going through things and somebody will tell you, hey, um, did you pay that bill, you know, that we're supposed to pay to, to make sure that the office is paid for this month? You say, yeah, 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 I paid that bill, but do you know that Jesus paid for your sins? And then it just becomes really awkward, right? And you're like forcing this conversation to happen. Like, we, we think that's how I'm supposed to um, share my faith. But that's not what we see, again, in Scripture. It's not this forced type of office evangelism. Or we think, well, I'm just going to go make a bunch of money and then give it to the missionaries and they can go do the work of ministry. Again, not how God has called it to be, but he's called all of us to be missionaries, to be a sent people. See, God calls us to live as messengers of the good news of the gospel and what we do and how we act and what we say. And so there are things that God calls us into. And today we're gonna look at this text from John 5, uh, 1 through 18. And so what do we learn um, just in this text today about uh, work. And so I'm going to give you three points up front. Here's the three points. The first one is this, God's work. We learn about God's work. The second one is we learn about our work. And the third is your work, God's glory. God's work, our work, your work, God's glory. Okay, so let's look through the text today. And so um, thank you, Ryan, for reading this text. The, the first thing we learn is about God's work. God's work. And so um, I want to point out, so Jesus uh, sees um, all of these people. He says, uh, there is a multitude, in verse 3, of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. And then it talks about what Jesus does. It says in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time he said to him do you want to be healed so in verse six we see jesus right so there's a problem there's something that's happening there's something that's wrong isn't that what work is solving problems going into situations where there needs to be some 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 help or some order brought to that situation and see we see jesus going into and entering into this situation and we see Really, God's work. What, what, what does he do here? It says that Jesus saw him lying there. So Jesus sees an issue. He sees a problem that's happening, right, much like us. And so when we're at work, when we're going through daily life, do you see things that aren't right? We see that Jesus saw that. But then it says he goes and does something about that, and, and it says that this word know, right? He knew that he had already been there a long time. How did Jesus know this? Well, um, some commentators believe that it was just like Jesus has this, this knowledge of being God. But what this specific word points to is that he did some research. He asked some people. As he saw that man over there, he started to ask some people specifically about that guy. Right, so Jesus is very interested in the details of what's happening in this man's life. He did some work to get some information about this guy. See, he didn't just lean into the God side, but he said, you know what, I'm gonna go in and I'm going to do some work to understand what this man's been through. See, and that, isn't that really what the decision that we have is on a daily basis, right? We, we have a decision to lean into a problem, to lean into a situation, to actually find out a little bit more than what we see on the surface. And so God comes and he learns about this man and what he's been going through. What we see is that Jesus pursues the situation. God's work. And in verse six, again, he, he asks this question. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Jesus offers an invitation. An invitation for help. Right, again, he's not forcing it on this man, but he's saying, do you, want, do, do, you, do you want something more than what you have right now? See, and again, God invites us into something bigger than what we see. And so, 
out of this man's response, which again, we'll talk about these next few weeks, but this man's response particularly in this is he, he, he does, he, he, he expresses a desire to be healed. Right? He's got some bad theology when it comes to how things are going to happen and how God brings healing, right? But Jesus doesn't just push him to the side on that and say, well, you got really bad theology on this. You think it's just somebody stirring up the, the pool and then you go inside at the right time. No, 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 no. I can't heal you because of that. No, but we see a God of grace who comes in and says, hey, I'm going to meet you right where you're at. I'm going to bring you some healing. And so he just comes in and lovingly listens to this guy. Here's what he's going through. And in verse eight, he says, get up. Get up. Jesus heals him. Right? There is no way that this man would have been able to get up unless Jesus said, get up. Jesus speaks these words, and this man is changed. His life is changed. Instantly, it says it right here. It says, um, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Verse eight, Jesus said, get up, and he was healed. Now, there, there, there are things that only God can do. That is one of those things, right? There, 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 God miraculously heals this man at his words, But in that moment, something happened to this man. As Jesus says, get up, at one point he was a lame man. That was his identity. That's what he knew for 38 years. But Jesus in a moment says, get up, and his identity changes. He's not the lame man anymore. He's not the guy that's sitting by the pool. He's not the guy that Jesus did research on and says, who is this guy? And and. Oh yeah, that's, that's the lame guy. No, in that moment, God changed his life. He gave him a new identity. And, and here's what we need to, to understand. You know, like many of us, when we read the Bible, we read ourselves as like being Jesus. But really the truth is, we're the lame man. We're the lame man. See, many of us struggle with anxieties and ulcers and Feelings of discouragement because of work. Many of us have gone and visited the ER because of work. But what Jesus is saying is that in in an instant you can be healed from making your identity something that it wasn't meant to be. See, that's God's work. God comes in, swoops in, and says, you're not the person you used to be. And we need to know that when it comes to work. Okay, we're going to keep going here, but we need to know this specifically, that your identity and my identity is not wrapped up in what everybody else would say your identity is. Your identity, when you come to Jesus, is that you're a child of God, that you've been radically changed, that you were a lame person before and now you can walk, okay? That's, who, that's what God does in our lives. And so this is a new identity for this man, And so that is God's work. But then we see the second part of it, it's our work, our work, right? And so it's not just that Jesus leaves him and says, great, you got a new identity now. You you can just live your life. But he says, I've got something for you. I've got something for you to do, specifically for you. You have been called to do this. You're gonna, here's the thing. He didn't know that he was gonna be in the story that we're reading today. But Jesus did. Isn't that an amazing thing that this guy who for 38 years was lame and now he's, we're reading about him in scripture today? See, God put a calling on this man's life and, and there was some work that this man had to do. And the first, the first thing is he had to believe the gospel. He had to believe that he was actually healed. <laughs> Right, and so in John uh, six twenty nine, it, it tells us that you know people are like, well, what's what's the work of God? What what do I need to do to you know receive God's good favor, God's good grace? What what do I need to do? Right, isn't that the question that we all have? Like, what do I have to do? But 
It's actually opposite to what we, we think it is. It, Jesus says, believe. So John 6, 29, the New, uh, New Living Translation says this. Jesus told them, this is the work God wants from you. Believe in the one who he has sent. That doesn't sound like work to me. That's right, because it's not about our work. It's about his work for us. It's about believing in the Son. And so, again, this is the, the first work that this man is called to, is to believe in what Jesus just spoke. Right, get up. But then the second part is to actually obey this good news, that he is not lame anymore. And so Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And what does the man do? At once the man was healed he took up his bed and walked. It's obedience. Right? Like there, there are things that we know about God. There are things that we, we, we're like, okay, this is my new identity. This is who I am now. I'm not that old person anymore. But then we don't do anything with it. We just kind of sit there. Like, oh, I think there's something I'm supposed to do. I think Jesus said this somewhere in here. But we don't activate it. Right, when, when Jesus talks about obedience, he's not talking about just obeying and listening and hearing and saying, yes, I, I, I agree with that. He's saying, no, I'm calling you to a new life. I'm calling you to step into that. See, there's an obedience to the gospel. And many of us would say, well, isn't that work? No, it's joy. It's joy. Can you imagine this man, again, who was disabled to be able to walk for the first time? Can you think, I, I mean, just the imagery of him as he's skipping, he's jumping, he's like, yes, this is, this is something that I've always wanted to experience, and now he gets to experience it? As he's carrying this mat, which doesn't really seem like much work, Right? Because when God comes in, when God does something radical like that, it doesn't seem like work. It's like, okay, I'm just entering into it and I'm obeying him. It is a joy to my life. It is fulfilling for me. See, that's what God does. When we, we, we don't start to write things off and say, well, I don't know. If, I, I can do the, the being healed part, but I really can't do the take up the, the, the mat and, and walk. You know, that, that seems like a little too much for me. And what God's calling us to do is not just come in here to a service on Sunday morning and say, yeah, I agree with that, but on Monday morning to wake up out of bed and say, you know what, I'm going to take my mat and walk. I'm going to go out and I'm going to step into a situation where it's going to be really tough. Maybe not everything's going to be perfect, but I'm going to go in with the, the lens of God's done a work in my life. And so now I can go out into the world and do his work. And so what does that look like? Ultimately, it's the third point. Your work, God's glory. This man is walking and he's really disrupted by some really... Uh, uh, haters, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. They're seeing this guy running, skipping, jumping, and they're just hating. Like, this guy is not supposed to be doing this. Now, the, the religious rule book during that time, it was ridiculous, ridiculous. And so you've got the Pharisees who are just thinking up different rules and regulations to just bring people down and, and make themselves feel like they were more religious and loved by God than other people because they kept these rules. There was no grace with these men. Their job was to bring people down. Okay, and so we see this guy who's joyful because he's been with Jesus, running, skipping, he's got his mat, and then they ask him a question. They say, hey, what are you doing carrying that mat? You're not supposed to be doing that. It's a Sabbath. Don't you know these things? And can't you see this guy's response as he turns back and says, uh, <laughs> this guy told me to carry the mat, so I'm just going to carry the mat. It, you know, like, he healed me. 
I don't know if you know me, but I'm the guy who was hanging out at the pool who couldn't walk before. Now I can. I think that kind of trumps whatever rules you've got. And so they're like, who is this guy? Who, who's the guy who, who healed you? And he was so happy at this point, he didn't even know who he was. So joyful, like, yes. And so he, <laughs> he, I, he's just like, I don't, I don't know who he was. And uh, I, I love it because, you know, Jesus, instead of this guy running around um, doing God's work and not really even knowing it, he informs him who it was. Jesus thought it was that important that he needs to find this guy and stop this guy kind of in his tracks and say, hey, I just want to tell you who did this for you. And uh, Jesus, I mean, joyfully, if you could just picture his face, says afterward Jesus found him in the temple. He found him. Jesus found him, right, because he needed to tell him something. He says, see, you are well, exclamation point. Like he is experiencing the joy that this man's experiencing. As he sees this man living in a new identity in a new way that he wasn't living before, he is joyfully saying, ah, see that you're well. He's excited, right? The Pharisees weren't excited. They weren't excited for this man's healing. They were ready to tear him down. But God is excited. See, God is excited when you wake up on Monday morning and see yourself not as the old person anymore, but a new person going out to tell people that, hey, you don't have to put your faith in work anymore, but you can actually put your faith in Jesus and then you get to do some really cool things, right? And so that, that is the excitement that Jesus is feeling as he sees this man, but then he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. He sees that this man had something much deeper than just the physical ailments that he had. He had something that was spiritual, he had something that could only be healed again by God. I'm not going to let you go into the world thinking that this is about something different. See, this is about God's glory, not your own. See, the work of Jesus, because he finds out this Jesus, and then he goes and tells those, the, the Pharisees, like, you want to know who healed me? Jesus did it. Jesus healed me. And so again, when you wake up on Monday morning and there are times where you feel like, okay, you're gonna go into work and you don't feel like it, but God gives you the joy to be able to make it through that day and people say, man, that was a really hard day. How did you make it through the day? Well, I'm just really a good person. You know, I, I'm just, you know, just more happy than everybody else. Like, is that, is that what we're seeing here that it's pointing us to? No. It's pointing us to the fact that God says, it wasn't because you were a good person, because you got sin just like everybody else. But it's the fact that Jesus came in and healed us. And so when somebody asks you and say, man, I, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about God, because I, I didn't have that in me. It's not possible. It's only possible through him that I can live this way. See, it's our work, God's glory. God's glory. That's the way that you share the good news of Jesus with people, not forced conversations, right? Because that's going to come out a lot more joyful and a lot more, I don't know, less awkward than really just trying to force it on people and say, hey, this is who, who I am and this is what I believe and all these things. Like, no, Jesus will do that work, right? He'll, he'll change us. And so it's, it's really that. See, much of our work becomes about our glory, not God's glory. But Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Right, like, how do you work heartily? That's a great word, isn't it? Heartily, like, it sounds rugged, it sounds rough, it sounds like, oh man, there's gonna be some trials in there, but you know what, you're gonna work heartily for the Lord, not for men. See, if you're working for men, it's just going to be like, this is my minimum, this is what I can do, um, just to get by. But when it's about God, you can't leave it at just the minimum. You say, I'm going to go extra. I'm going to do everything I can. Our work is meant for something bigger than our glory. It's for God's glory. Why? 
Again, I love this quote from Timothy Keller, which he's done a lot of good work on, on this particular subject, along with Eugene Peterson, so check those guys out. But he says, without something bigger than yourself to work for, then all of your work energy is actually fueled by one of the other six deadly sins. You may work exceptionally hard because of envy to get ahead of somebody, because of pride to prove yourself, because of greed or even gluttony for pleasure. There's always gonna be something at the, the center of our work if it's not for God's glory. We're gonna try to prove ourselves and to get ahead of other people. But let's be honest, we know that that's not right. We know that it's not right. It's because you and I were made to work for God's glory. And so just for some takeaways today that I think could be helpful when it comes to our theology of work, how does this, how does this apply to our everyday lives? The first one is this. It gives us a gospel-centered perspective. A gospel-centered perspective. And so your life and identity is based on, on him. Um, when you meet somebody for the first time, what's usually the question that they ask you after your name? What is it that you do? What do you do? And so we live in a world right now that, again, is, is very keen on this is my identity, what you do. What's the first thing that God gives you? Not an identity of what you need to go do, but an identity of what's been done for you. Right? That, that it, it precedes what you do. That's not how the world operates. It, it's only about what you do. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you something that's been done for you. It's been paid for. Here's the ticket. Here's the way in. Right? Like, you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it in any way. I will give you a new identity. That's what we see with the layman, right? Like, he didn't work for it. He thought it was about working for it. Like, oh, I thought I got to get in at the right time. But instead... God says, no, I'm going to give this to you purely out of grace. You did not earn it. You received it. That's hard for us. Again, constantly we're thinking, I got to work for this. I got to earn this. But God says, no, I'm going to give you something that you receive. And it's not because of you. It's because of me. See, identity is not about what we do, but who we are. Who we are. Because of Jesus, we don't have to define ourselves any longer by achievement. And so just rest in that for just a minute. Right, like do you actually believe that? Do I believe that? Do I believe that my value is not based on what I do, but what has been done for me? Right, as we rest in that, as we acknowledge that, as we say, yes, that's what I need in my life, your perspective will start to change. You won't be as down on yourself as you, you are when, when you walk home or go home and, and you have a really bad day at work because you, you just didn't perform well that day or whatever. There are gonna be those days, let's be honest. There are gonna be those times where you say, man, I, I, I should have done it this way instead of that way. Right? We can all have those moments. We can all heap that guilt and shame on ourselves. But what Jesus does, he says, no, I want to release you from that because that doesn't define you. And you can wake up the next morning and know that I'm still with you and I still love you even though there might be people who won't. Even though there might be people who will tear you down for it and embarrass you for it. Right? It's incredible. Just, just the, the world that we live in right now. And how quickly people can tear you down in an instant and let everybody else know how bad it was. We have to have an identity that is a gospel-centered identity. See, to have a gospel-centered perspective of work is not forcing the gospel into every conversation in your life, but seeing everything you do through the gospel and believing God will open the door. It's, it's, it's really a new lens of how you look at the world. It's not a forced life. It is a filled life with God at the center of it. You say, okay, I'm gonna go out into the world with a new identity knowing that these things that I do do not define me. And you know what you're gonna find? You're gonna find a lot more joy in what you get to do because it is. It is good work that makes a difference. See, the next point is it gives us an eternal perspective. 
How does the theology of work help us? It gives us an eternal perspective. Here's what you, you, you and I need to hear. Our work matters. What you do matters. And I'm not just talking about on Sundays. I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about all of us. Our work matters. Our work is made for eternal difference. Right? There's eternal difference that can be made because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so being a lawyer matters. Being a broker matters. All of these things matter. We think that to its end. It, it does. See, I, I love the illustration that Francis Chan used one time. He says, you know, uh, he, he took this, this piece of rope and he says if it were to go all the way down this way and all the way down this way and he's holding this piece of rope and he says you know that's eternity but if you were to look at it and he's just had this little piece of tape in the middle and he's just like he's like that's our life it's like do you realize that you can do things in that small little bit of your life that can matter for eternity right that's what you're doing when you're teaching when you're out there doing everyday life work, it matters. It is eternal. And isn't that the question that we all ask? Because when we go home from work, we say, did I do anything that really made a difference today? Yes. Yes, you did. If you see it through a gospel lens and you see that God is at work, in your work, he's there. The, the last point is this. It gives us a realistic perspective. It gives us a realistic perspective. And so what that looks like is this. There was work that only God could do in this text, right? Like only Jesus could have gone up to this man and had, did what he did for this man. And so it gives us, when we know that the gospel is true, that Jesus is alive, and that when we approach work, we are not the Savior. Right? Like so many of us are, are working and, and operating with the Savior mindset, with a Savior complex. Like, I'm the only one who can fix these issues. I'm the only one who can fix these problems. If I don't do it, then it's not going to happen. But when we come to Jesus and we see the healing that Jesus offers, we can know that there is God's work and then there's our work. And those things are separated. And there are things that he calls you to do that day that, you know what, it might not solve that problem that you were looking for the solution for in that particular moment. And you can strive and you can stress all day long. But it's not going to work. Because again, we know that in Scripture, there are things that only God can do. And so maybe instead of stressing about it, we should be praying about it. We, could be say, we should be saying like, God, okay, there's some things that only you can work out in this situation, so I'm gonna need you to, to please come through on, on these things. Because I know it's not gonna happen if it doesn't, if, if you don't come through on this, Lord. And so really, it, it builds in us a character and a development of knowing, okay, we are limited creatures, but God is unlimited in his resources. That's what we find in Scripture, that God is unlimited in what he can do. And so as we bring it to his feet, instead of laying it at our feet saying, I gotta do this, we lay it at his feet and say, God, there's some things that only you can do, so please help. Please come in. Please change this situation. Right, because we have a realistic viewpoint of what we can do and what we can't do see many of us don't live in reality at least the people that live around us we don't live in reality because we again we think that we're the savior but what we find in scripture is there's only one and so we can embrace that there are things that only god can do and there's things that we can do and there's things that we just can't do i can't do it I can't come through on that one. It's okay. See, here's the, the, the gospel lens that we look through. God's ultimate work is to save sinners. And as he comes up to this man, he says to him, he says, you know, I, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. 
right? Like this man was, man was sent out joyfully, but he was, he was helping this man understand that, again, there's something that only God can do in your life, that only the work of Jesus can, can do for you. And the, the work we could never do is cover our own sins. Could never do it. Right, like we're striving, we're working so hard, and, and we live in a world that says you have to work your way into God's good graces. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But what we find in Scripture is the opposite. So you could never do it. Come to Him. Come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, you'll see at the foot of the cross Him screaming out, It is finished. What's finished? The work. The work that you and I strive for on a daily basis as we go out into our workplace and we say, if I could just get that identity, if I could just make more progress, if I could just do this and get to where I need to be, Jesus says, you've already got what you need. It's found in me. It's found out, it's found in that it is finished. Come to his feet. Rest in him. Receive what he's done for you and find eternal life. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed. Do you want peace in your work? It starts with a theology of work. It starts with God. What has God done? And then now what do I get to do? out of joy in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for what Jesus has done. I thank you that he said, um, get up. That is the healing that he's spoken over our lives. But it is us believing that. That's the difference. The work is believing that it's the son who's done it for us. It's believing that we are covered by the blood of Christ and that your work is enough for us, that we don't have to strive, we don't have to try and make ourselves feel like we're better than other people, we don't have to push people aside to get to the front, but God, we have received something that we could have never earned, and now we get to wake up and do the good work that God has called us to. So God, I pray that you help us as a church to see our work, not as a have to, not as a must, not as a drudgery, not as even as an occupation, but as a vocation, as a calling that you placed and assigned to our lives at this particular time in our lives. God, that we can find joy in it as we find first joy in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.